everybody uh thanks for tuning in it it's grant and i just want to say mott flies suck uh, i just needed to get that out there but what we're trying to do is we're going to do a few episodes we're going to call them in betweeners and we're going to try and focus on midwestern small business fly fishing companies so we've got rod builders we've got online um you know musky musky fly stuff we've got feather feather guys we've got fly guys and uh, I, I really want you to take a listen and i want you to reach out to these people and talk to them if you need gear if you've got questions these are the people you can reach out to you can actually talk to these people on the phone they will help you out they'll answer your questions you know find them on social media shoot them emails you know, visit their sites and, and buy from them. It's, you know, we always, we always talk about buying local. This is your chance to do that. We're going to put their links in the show notes and I hope you enjoy it. And we'll be back with full episodes, uh, you know, earlier in the spring, but until then check these people out. Thank you for listening. And we'll catch you on the other side. Well, this way we'll get a solid 20 or 30 minutes of real content in it. <laughs> it would take it from there. What, uh, so what sparked the start of, you know, where did weights and measures come from? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I suppose I can introduce myself too. my name's Eric Johnson, awful. coming, coming to you guys from, uh, the West twin cities, Metro. Uh, I'm out in deep Haven, which if any of you are familiar with like, uh, lake minnetonka area i'm kind of i'm kind of in one of those really old cabin neighborhood pockets of that community which is really cool because lake minnetonka is a you know very ritzy lake life kind of thing and and we happen to have found this really nice little old community that's been around forever and historically has been like cabins and and stuff like that that people have been adding on to. So we're kind of tucked in the backwoods up here and, um, you know, weights and measures for me kind of came about, um, just in my interest in fly tying and, um, and, and fly fishing really. I've been, I'm fly, been a fly angler for about 11 years, which that time has certainly flown by. Um, and I've always fly fished and tied my own flies really because I didn't have a good, mentor in my life back when I was learning how to fly fish. And so I really was picking everything up myself. And one of the easiest ways for me to figure some of that stuff out was to tie everything as well. Um, was really a way for me to kind of get, you know, down the rabbit hole of figuring out what trout are going to eat or what bass are going to chase in the summertime and, and things like that. And so I've got a bit of a history of, of just tying everything under the sun. Um, not all of it very good. But, um, <laughs> um, the, the musky stuff and, and weights and measures for me really kind of came out of the last couple of months where I was trying to find a place to be a little more dedicated with some of those ties, some of those patterns and, and have a place to showcase them. And so really it just started with an Instagram account, um, weights and measures co where I started throwing up photos of some flies that I was happy with and, um, a place for me to seek out advice that was a little more, um, a little more directed. Okay. You know? and that really started happening last summer. And I had a couple of folks reach out to me last fall saying, Hey, we're going to start a brick and mortar and wondering if you would be interested in being our, our big predator fly guy. And so I kind of fast tracked that 
hobby into something a little more concrete. And over the last couple of months, I've been working really hard to sort of build out the brand, build out a permanent website. And along, along with that, you know, weights and measures for me is not just tying big musky and pike flies. It's not just bucktail. It's, it's really kind of deep diving into where those materials come from and, and how they get dyed and sorted and processed. And, and it's also been a great opportunity for me to really figure out what materials I like and what I think works best and how I can figure out how to bring those materials to other tires, especially up here in the Midwest. I think, um, you know, upper Midwest is kind of that unsung hero of, of the fly fishing world where yeah. there's a lot of really cool stuff going on up here, but no one really knows about it. And so I'm also trying to bring to light some more of those opportunities and yep. companies and, and, you know, feather breeders and, um, and things like that. So that's really where all that came from for me. Who have you been working with, uh, with, you know, specifically your, your feathers? Is there. Yeah. So back in November, when I started getting some requests for flies, I, I quickly realized that, um, buying retail small packs just wasn't going to cut it. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, as, as you know, I mean, musky flies are expensive and there's, there's a reason for that. It's not just because they take an awful long time to tie, but it's also because the materials are expensive and they're, they're kind of hard to get. And so one of the first things I did was reach out to a couple of local folks and very quickly was connected with root river hackle right down in Lanesboro. And, uh, Chris and Patty down there are a husband and wife team who have been breeding birds for mostly dry fly hackle for years. And I reached out to them just because they're local and close to me and, um, immediately said, you know, Hey, I'd love to work with you guys. If you have any, any product that I could take off your hands. And to my surprise, they said, absolutely. We've got, That's awesome. we've got stuff that we would love to send you. And we think that it, what, what, what we are breeding might work really well. And it was just a, a home run right out of the gate, which I was super, super fortunate for. Um, so yeah, all of my long, long feathers. And I think this is going to be mostly audio, right? No one's going to see any of this. Right. <laughs> um, but what I, what I really like about that root river stuff is, um, you know, if you're tying big musky flies, one of the advantages of having some of those feathers coming off the back of your fly is that you get a little bit extra length, but if you get the right kind of feather, you get that wiggle and that movement without much of that weight. And so the feathers that I was after were not necessarily your traditional schloppen, you know, inch and a half to two inch wide, stiff feather. They were more in line with a, with a dry fly hackle feather with a little bit extra length or I'm sorry, a little bit extra width so that you get that profile, but you also get that movement and the feathers that they sent me that first round were unbelievable. And so, uh, what I do as part of weights and measures is take that bulk feather and sort and, and size them to exactly what I'm, what I'm looking for. Um, and then, you know, washing, drying, dyeing, all that stuff. So you're doing the entire dye process too. I'm doing everything from start to finish. Basically what I get is coming right off the bird and showing up in a big bulk bag. Okay. And then I'm taking it from there. 
Have you taken uh, over the, all the wives, like pots and pans and stuff doing like dying <laughs> projects in the house? Um, I have learned very quickly that I've got to find some space in the house that's <laughs> hidden away from everybody else. <laughs> yeah. I haven't ruined anything yet. I've got a couple of dedicated vessels that I've been using. What's uh, if you, if you don't mind like the 20,000 foot view, like what's the dime process look like um, when you're producing so many slop and feathers? Sure. Well, um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm doing dyeing for feathers as well as for bucktail. That was another thing that I jumped in on um, last fall. Um, this is backtracking just a little bit, but um kind of in line with trying to find the right feather. Um, I also want to try to find the right bucktail. And I know that's also a kind of a headache, especially if you're trying to find those long, long fibers, really big bucktails and that sort of thing. And that, those are kind of the, the meat and potatoes of big musky flies. And so I, I happen to find, to have found a, a couple of folks out in Wisconsin that I've been working with. Um, but same thing there where I'm, I'm getting the tails right off the animal and taking the process from absolute start to finish. And the dying process actually ends up being pretty similar for both. Uh, at, a, at a very high level, it involves an awful lot of preparation. Yeah. Uh, you know, really, once you, once you take all of those things head on, you really have an appreciation for where some of the, these things come from. Um, because really, you know, 80, 90% of the process is really just cleaning, sorting, packing, bundling. Um, and, and the magic really happens in that, in that last kind of 10, 15 minutes in the dye bath. Um, but overall, you know, the, the process is very simple. Once you have a clean material and you have it bundled or, um, you know, trimmed or whatever to whatever side you're looking for, um, the overall process is fairly straightforward. I, I mostly am using a, an acid based dye, which, really works well for natural fibers, which is how I'm able to, to use the same process more or less for feathers and for, for hair. Okay. Um, but really it's, you know, it's a, it's a clean cleaning process, bundling, and then your dye bath. And there's a little bit of chemistry that's involved in that dye bath process. You got to have the right pH. You got to have the right temperature. You have to have materials in that bath for the right amount of time to get the color you're looking for. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of about it. Um, that's a whole industry in and of itself that I just, you know, barely scratched the surface. <laughs> is it, I mean, is this something that you'd ever tinkered with in like any other industry, like dyeing t-shirts or dying clothing or, or <laughs> no. was this like, Hey, I'm no, just going to jump in head first. This, in yeah, the this was, uh, this was, let me see how complicated I can make this whole little small business of mine <laughs> and let's see how fast I can make it overly complicated. Beautiful. <laughs> Um, but no, you know, I, I think that actually kind of gets back to, to my, um, my history in, in fly fishing, right? Like, because I didn't have someone over my shoulder showing me the ropes and, and guiding me along the way, I've always kind of just jumped in head first and, um, you know, got my start angling out in the Wisconsin driftless on three foot wide trout streams, spent the first couple of years more or less just getting snagged on weeds and, yeah, and tall struggling. grass and, and really hating most of it. Um, <laughs> and then branching out into some warm water and finally getting to, to big predator fish and pike and muskie and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I love everything about it. You know, it, as frustrating as it can be at times, I love the amount of time that it takes to really study and understand a stretch of water or, you know, really try to figure out, what kind of bugs are going to be hatching or, 
what kind of bait fish are emerging at, for, for whatever season you're fishing. And really for me, it's, it's not just the catching fish part that I love. I, it's, it's the process that gets you to that point. Mm-hmm. And so weights and measures for me is, is honestly just an extension of that. That's just taking a few more steps backward where rather than just buying materials at, at a, a fly shop, I'm procuring those materials and I'm creating something unique and something incredibly local that just allows me to, to have more control over the fly, but also really bring in some of that art and artistry into it, which I think is really, really awesome. So, uh, with your dyeing process, how many different colors, um, are you offering right now with your slopping? I've got, I've got about 10 colors on the books that I can, that I can mix up pretty quickly. Okay. Um, and, and I've got all of that on hand. Um, if, if folks are looking for any of this stuff, weights and measures dot co is where you can find all this stuff and i've got uh plenty of feathers and and flies up on the site right now and i'm gonna throw some bucktails on there shortly i think what i saw Um, last week when you i think you posted it which got me excited because i'm a lazy musky fly tire like (laughs) it's one of my least favorite things to do in the world uh the bucktail brushes yeah you're selling i'm like that's like totally sit down i don't have to think about it (laughs) slap that on there and I'm spinning bucktail on a predator hook and I'm good to go. And I don't have to worry about it. So I haven't seen you order any of those yet though. I haven't yet because <laughs> I'm trying to uh, order or I'm trying to tie flies for a bighorn trip. After that, I can focus on musky stuff. All right. All right. I'll give you a pass this time. But I do have the website in front of me. I'm like, I could just, I'm looking at the colors. I'm like, uh, yep. Said that one so guys yeah if you're i hope you're listening to this you should be go to weightandmeasures.co and check out these uh bucktail brushes because it's gonna make everybody's life easier yeah it's, it's not dot com because it turns out that domain name is owned by somebody who wanted like tw- 200 years worth of my marketing budget for the domain name <laughs> that's fair so it's weightsandmeasures.co but yeah so another thing that i'm trying to do with with weights and measures is help educate people on how to tie some of this stuff and not only offer materials that i think are are the best you know top quality but also offer ways to help get people get into tying some some big predator flies that they may not have had an opportunity to do so before um and and really that's kind of born out of, of my experience being without a fly shop now locally for the last 12 months and being out here in, in the West Metro in, in a total fishers paradise, you know, mm-hmm. but there's a, a, a huge void in, in the fly angling zone. And we've actually run into a bunch of people who have, express some interest in fly fishing or even, you know, fly fishing for musky, but the resources just aren't really out here. And so what I'm trying to do is offer a, a space for some of that stuff and some of that education and some of those materials. Um, but yeah, so those, those bucktail brushes are components that I'm using quite a bit in the flies that I'm tying. Um, I think brush making in, in fly tying in general is, is really growing i've yeah. seen a lot more people trying to pick it up on their own but i've also seen a lot more companies trying to make some of those 
materials that haven't really been available before. Um, and the bucktail brush is, is one of those things that you can't really mass produce. You know, it's, it's a tricky, tricky process. It's a hard material to, to work with in, in some cases. And so I can spin those up here in house and I can use my, my bucktail that I'm, I'm dying and sorting. And, um, what I've done for the short term here is put together some, some kits where you can pick up a handful of brushes. You'll get some shanks, you'll get some hooks and basically allow you to tie four single Bufords or two double Bufords. That's awesome. By basically putting some feathers off the back of the shank and then wrapping that brush from yeah. back to front. And you can, you can wrap that thing right to the eye of the shank and, and you're good to go. Um, so it's an easy way to get used to some of that material and to learn how to tie some of these flies. And at the end of the day, you get a, some good looking flies without having to spend an arm and a leg like you would have to otherwise. Yeah. I like that. That's what I kind of like. You can put your own spin on it. You know, it's, uh, it's that slippery slope into musky fly time. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, <laughs> right. buckets I mean, of bucktail and slopping <laughs> sitting next to you that are just waiting to get everything right. messy in your basement. And as soon as you pick up one set of one color, you're going to need bucktail that matches that color. And then you're going to want feathers that match the color. (laughs) And then you're going to want to contrast it. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a dangerous game to get into. (laughs) So, uh, you know, out of all the different flies that you tie, what's your, what's your favorite pattern to fish? Um, let's call it spring muskies since that's coming up. Oh, spring muskie, uh, single Buford easy. Like, uh, you know, I, I've always really been drawn to like the natural color palette, kind of that pastel, you know, greens, browns, uh, tans, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I know things like hot pink and white are going to totally slay, but I don't know, for whatever reason, I've always been gravitated way more to, um, you know, natural, natural fiber and, and a green Buford head with um, probably some grizzly feathers coming off the back and just keeping it real simple. Um, so that's what I'm going to be throwing this spring. Although I don't know, I've been playing around with those new A-Rex hooks and like everybody else, just rock hard for some new, uh, new <laughs> smaller patterns. Yeah. It's, it's fun to see what people are doing with those. Uh, just the sparseness, I guess, of yeah. some of the patterns I've seen. So yeah. Yeah. I'll, well, and you know, I'll sit back and watch from, from my trout chair. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I mean, not to get too deep into the muskies, the uh, theory, but um, there's all, all kinds of stuff out there that um, suggests that the, the most common forage for some of these big fish are not 12 to 18 inch furry full chicken flies. They're actually really targeting those, you know, five to eight inch bait fish patterns. And so you might actually be more on with something little, but I do love fun to be, you know, smash the surface of the water. <laughs> yeah. I do love to watch the debates though. And like the, the forums of single versus double flies and yeah. the heated yeah. passion that goes on behind those, <laughs> like you can catch a 50 with a, you know, an 18 inch fly, or you can catch a 50 with a three inch fly, or you can be the kid on Minnetonka (laughs) with a worm and a bobber that probably catches one off a dock. That's 50 inches. There's a a kid who, who spin fishes off of uh, Minnehaha Creek out in this neck of the woods and pulls out just massive fish. I don't know where he's fishing, but 
<laughs> you know, I, you know, the real point of all this is we're all doing it wrong. If all you want to do yeah. is catch really big fish. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know, that's, that's not why we're out here. Nice. Nope. Not at all. Um, well, that's good. That's I'll, I like that. I, I do enjoy the natural colors a little bit more than the hot pinks and the really bright colors too, but I mean, I can't knock anything, you know, or right. pink or short. You know, they work. I'll, I've got all that in my box, you know, and I've definitely throw them, but I don't know. I, I, I just like the, the aesthetic of that kind of natural palette. What, uh, what was, what fly was the first one you caught a muskie on? Um, single Buford. Yeah. And to be, to be totally honest, like my musky numbers are not anywhere near some of these other big tires that are out there. Um, still definitely ch- chasing those big, those big numbers, but you know, I think there's definitely something to be said for keeping it real simple. Yeah, I you agree. Know? Um, and actually just to get back to those kits that I'm putting together a little bit, I, I think I'm going to be throwing together a couple of, um, articles on, you know, how to use some of that stuff. And, and those will be up on the website shortly. Um, but those kits along with a lot of the flies that I I have up on the website are, are kind of pared down compared to some of the other things that you'll find out there. And, um, that I think again, just sort of gets back to that simple color palette. You know, I don't think you need to have a whole bundle of, of flash. You don't need to have a whole bundle of feathers on your fly. I think, at the end of the day, it comes down to your presentation and, and having something that's going to give you the right amount of movement rather yep. than the amount of material. So I've always just been a very less is more kind of fly tire. And, uh, I think that's kind of needed. Um, you know, I've even seen it on the trout side where, you know, the, it's a size 18 fly. How much stuff can you really pack onto that <laughs> yeah, hook? And it's totally, you know, it, I feel like a lot of people are just keep putting more and more and more material. And now I've kind of seen this swing back of, like you said, less is more, which mm-hmm. I think we're going to start seeing a lot, a lot yeah. more of, uh, yeah. as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Doc Muskie, um, you say you do some pike fishing, How's, uh, what about bass fishing? What's uh, your favorite patterns for bass fishing? Oh man, I had such a blast. So we moved out to this neck of the woods last, uh, February, like the minute before quarantine hit. And so Mm -hmm. I was stuck out here pretty much by myself for most of the summer. Um, but may do by just solo canoeing out on the lake and, and cruising around. And I had an absolute blast on, um, green natural and like, like black and yellow Dahlberg divers. Um, for whatever reason, that was, a, that was always my go-to. I, I had some luck with some other, um, poppers and some other top water patterns and things like that. But man, those, those divers were so much fun. Um, and I mean, I don't know, there's something about that huge top water blow up that, Oh yeah. Like so much fun. <laughs> yep. That's, uh, that's what got me through the summer. Cause I didn't get, I didn't get out trout fishing a lot. Usually we try to do a lot of, um, yeah, I didn't, night yeah, fishing. I yeah totally, totally. But, uh, smallmouth bass fishing, like top water stuff kept me, yeah. kept me entertained, kept me going, yeah. you know, yeah. filled the, filled the void a little bit for the fishing. <laughs> uh, yeah. cause we had those bad floods last year. Um, right. so that kind of wiped out some pretty good water. Um, yeah. but yeah, I'm looking forward to some top water smashes here. <laughs> Well, you, you know, what was kind of interesting was that, um, 
most of the fishing that I did last summer was not really your prime time. You know, it wasn't first light. It wasn't dusk. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't when you would really want to be chasing some big fish. It was like one o'clock and it was hot Yep. and it was sunny and nothing was moving. Yep. And so I kind of had to play to, um, you know, again, getting, just getting back to having to understand your, your water and, and the bugs and things like that. I was really looking at the dragonflies that were out and the other things that I was seeing on the surface and, um, just had a blast kind of playing around with some of those, you know, iridescent blues and, and pearl colors and trying to match some dragonfly patterns. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so much fun to, to have that extra challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to have to try to really crack that code, especially when you are only able to get out for an hour or two at a time. And it's like, the worst time of day it's hot you get sunburned like <laughs> you gotta take advantage you hit the of the water. time you have yep. you hit the water and you're already kind of frustrated you know <laughs> <laughs> but may do it caught some pretty fun fish and had a good time doing it so um why don't you tell us a little bit about that canoe setup that you had for yourself <laughs> of course, yeah. to fish out? Um, we, we did get a boat last fall, so I'm Good. super stoked. It's a, a 1972 Mako Classic, so we're working with some some good bones, uh, and I'm super stoked to get that on the water this spring. But last year, I was just cruising around in my uh, childhood Alumacraft heavy, heavy 18-foot uh, canoe. And to make that a little more reasonable for fly casting, what I did was uh, try to mimic those beautiful Hawaiian outrigger boats where you have your main vessel that you're sitting in, and then you have a big outrigger pole to one side. that's also attached to some sort of flotation device or, yep. you know, additional kind of canoe. Um, but because we're working with a limited budget, <laughs> rather than it being this beautiful, like hand carved tree trunk it was my heavy ass canoe and then one of the poles from my roof snow scraper because we're up here in the upper midwest <laughs> attached to an empty boat box rubber made bin <laughs> oh that's glorious and so i you know to be honest it actually worked remarkably well it stabilized the boat i could stand up i could stand up on top of my cooler like i was getting some good visibility that's pretty sweet. And like, I wasn't tipping the boat. I, I didn't capsize uh, or lose any gear this summer or last summer. Um, but man, was it ugly. And did I get some looks from the, the dudes cruising by in their jet boats? Like, well, especially on like, this guy if, if you're on Tonka, I can imagine <laughs> the looks that you got from the locals. Rolling I mean, I was getting there. looks anyway because I was fly fishing. And yeah. so they, they knew something was up from... <laughs> from well off <laughs> but when yeah. they got close they really knew that i was the new <laughs> the new local crazy guy who's the weird guy with that flicky pole thing <laughs> and his rubber made bouncer off of his canoe that's fantastic i'll tell you what though for like 20 bucks that thing got me through the summer and if you're at home listening and you have a canoe and you're trying to figure out how to make it easier to cast on throw some big empty bin next to you and go for it. Like it totally works. It's a lot cheaper than, uh, we were looking at some of those like outrigger systems, um, they can get for like your canoes and stuff. And I'm like, 
do I really need to spend 300 bucks for outriggers <laughs> and then put a $400 set of oars on it? I'm like, <laughs> just buy a boat. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of where I was too. You know, I was considering, I mean, if you've got the money and you're willing to go for it, I've seen those setups and they are incredible and yep. they work and like do yourself a favor and, and get something that you can actually paddle the boat around in. But if your boat's not worth $300, maybe, <laughs> maybe think, the Rubbermaid bin might be a good option. Very, very true. Very <laughs> true. Uh, so earlier you had mentioned um, working with a brick and mortar store or somebody asking you who was, yeah. was that, are you currently working with a brick and mortar store or looking to I, get into I, Yeah, I do have a handful of folks that I'm working with. Um, so big shout out to Danny Reed over at Crooked Creek Holler, if he's listening, or if you guys know him out in Asheville, he was the first guy to reach out to me asking if I would be interested in uh, being his, being one of his big uh, predator fly suppliers. And so I've got flies on his shelves right now. Uh, and if you're in that area, go check out his shop. It's an awesome, awesome setup. Um, he's been around running Crooked Creek holler for years and opened up his brick and mortar last November, I believe. Okay. Um, so if you, if you get a chance to take a look at that actual space, it looks amazing. Um, but yeah, he was the, the first one to reach out. And, um, so I've got some things out at his, his location. Um, if you are into musky fishing on the fly, you probably are also know, um, Dan Donovan, uh, and Jen Donovan over at musky pool. So they were the next folks to, to get in touch and, so I've got a handful of my flies up on their site. So while it's not a brick and mortar, um, they've got my product on their, on their website. As awesome. Well. So super, super happy to have, um, that connection and they've been amazing to work with. And we've got a couple of other things coming up here in the works. So stay tuned for that. But, um, if you're looking for, you know, musky tackle or flies or gear or whatever, They've got an awesome selection, so hit them up for sure. But then uh, since then, I've been connecting with some of the folks here locally um, and hoping to get some things on the shelves here at uh, Men Provisions in the spring, if you are local to with the Mike. cities. Nice. With Mike, yep. Um, and um, having a couple of conversations with the folks who are running Musky Town up in your neck of the woods Okay. Uh, about some materials. So we're going to see where that goes uh, in the next couple of weeks. But stay tuned for that as well that's awesome so it it's kind of crazy how fast and furious you're able to spin things up <laughs> Man, you know like, with with the covid speaking, speaking COVID of not having a speaking of not having a, a polished elevator pitch i mean <laughs> this thing really went from uh hey can i buy a handful of flies to uh holy shit i need to have a website and a brand and some design work done and all kinds of stuff How's that, how, but, um, how's that website management, uh, been treating you? You know, once I got the hang of it, it's, it's not too bad. Um, I don't really come from a web design background, so it took me, took me a little while to get to, to learn the ropes, but, um, if, uh, it, so another quick shout out, if any of you guys are familiar with the folks who are running 10 and two, especially Philip Clark, um, uh, he's been incredibly helpful as far as some logo design work and, and, and giving me advice on, starting up that small e-commerce venture. It looks, um, yeah, it looks great. So a huge shout out to him for some job. of that design stuff. But yeah, it's, it's a whole new, you know, it's, it, it's a peek behind another one of those veils that you don't really think about too often and, you know, running, running e-commerce, trying to sort out 
logistics for shipping costs and things like that. Like there's a reason that uh, more people aren't running their own (laughs) online fly businesses (laughs) because it's not that lucrative, but you know, it's been, it's been fun. And and I've been incredibly uh, fortunate to have made the connections that I have in the last couple of months Um, and super, super happy to have all the positive feedback coming out of the community and awesome. um, yeah, really, really excited to get more of my, my things out there. And, um, if, if people need flies for the upcoming season, if you're looking for some more materials, we've got a lot of, a lot of tying season left. We got, we got stuff for you to tie with. So, yeah, I feel like everybody's getting really excited because it's warm outside and things are melting, <laughs> but <clears throat> remember everybody we're in Minnesota and, uh, it wasn't oh, a couple yeah. of years ago. We had 18 inches of snow in April. So there's that plenty of time. Yeah. We got, we got another couple of weeks for sure of cold weather. Just, just wait for it. And if you're lazy like me and you, you know, truly are not a huge fan of time predator flies, you should really head over to weightsandmeasures.co and my a buy some flies or B buy some of those kits too. Cause well, it sounds know, like a lot more fun. Yeah. I think, I think it should be fun. Um, you know, I, I think, tying these big flies can be really intimidating because they have such huge profiles. And if, if you're not from that style of tying, it can be really intimidating. And so I'm trying to take some of that out of the equation. Um, but something else that I've got in those kits are the shanks that I'm spitting up. So if you're not familiar with that tying style, you know, most flies are tied on the shank of a hook. And what I'm doing is instead of, tying onto that hook shank, I'm, I'm using regular, just straight shanks that are being, um, tied together and then attaching hooks onto a split ring and then running that split ring either off the back of the hook or off the middle or the front or, or wherever you want. So you get a lot of opportunity to play around with your setup. Um, if you're tying a single Buford, you've got that one shank that you would throw the hook off the back. But if you're, tying a double Buford, you can run a single hook off the back. You can run a hook off the middle. You could run two hooks. Um, you could really kind of throw your own twist on the, on the system pretty easily. So you, you still have plenty of opportunities to make the flies your own. You're just kind of given the foundation to, to play around with. I like that. Um, that flexibility to be able to change where your hook position is on that. Um, yeah, I mean that, yeah. that tying style has a lot of advantages. I mean, it's, it, you, you obviously introduce another p- potential point of failure with that split ring. Although I've never had that happen to me and I've never heard of anyone have that happen to them, but it's like anything else, like it's a possibility. Right. Um, but you know, I, I think what I like about it is not only are you able to vary where you're positioning that hook, you can change what hook you're using. So you can yep. throw a little bit bigger hook off the front or the back. Um, you could run a trailer hook if you want, you could run it just up front. Um, the other kind of cool thing, and it's, you know, folks are not going to see this at, uh, in person or at home, but what I kind of like about that s- system is if you are running split rings, I'm not sure this to you cause you might be able to kind of see it, but if you're running split rings here in the center, yep. you can connect each of these sections with a split ring rather than tying them together. So okay. if you wanted to, you could tie a single Buford like this. And you and could essentially transform that fly. And then you could transform it into a double Buford by attaching another shank with 
another brush tied onto it. I like so now that. you're running a double Buford and that gives you a lot of opportunity. You could run another shank up front. That is most of that brush with the front short hairs trimmed off. So now you're running a double bulkhead. Yep. You could throw some weight up here on the front shank or on that front section. If you wanted to get that fly down deep. So, you know, you could, you could have four pieces of this, equation take that out onto the water and be able to hit just about any depth or um you know sink rate that you want in a pretty pretty easy package um so that you know the opportunities are are pretty much endless here i like yeah i like that like modular modular musky flies yeah you know and i'm I'm kind of still working that system out I, i know that that idea does come from more traditional gear setups where you've got kind of a more modular system and mm-hmm. play. Um, but I see no reason that that doesn't apply to, to flies. And, um, I think there are pretty, pretty easy ways of making that happen. Yeah. So, that's, I like that. We're still kind of playing around with that here at, uh, weights and measures HQ, but <laughs> expect to see a little more content on that. I'm sure in the next couple of weeks, look forward to it. We'll make it a little easier once we can actually get on some open water and yeah. start testing <laughs> right. some stuff. Right. Too, these right? ideas are all good in theory, but yeah, I suppose if you can get these things wet, you'll be able to see the real deal. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So Buford's what, uh, how long does it take you now to, uh, tie out a, a single Buford? Um, if you want to make it a simple fly that'll catch fish by throwing, um, you know, let's say four slopping feathers off the back of a shank mm-hmm. and a small pinch of flash. And then one of my bucktail brushes, that's probably a five minute fly. That's incredible. And it's awesome. That's awesome. And, it, and again, I know folks aren't really going to see this at home, but I'll let you marvel at how this looks. This back section. So I'm, I'm holding a double Buford that was built out of two of those bucktail brushes. That's what that looks like. That's incredible. So, so this front, you know, the, that Buford head, that quintessential round profile with those short fibers up front, that's all coming off of that brush. And, and Normally, I know you... that's kind of a challenging technique where you're spinning those fibers, you know, you're pinching them up on the, under the shank, you're pulling that thread really tight to get those fibers to split and flare out like that. You can do that more or less with that brush right there. And that's the incredible part of it is I know you guys can't see this, but one of my biggest, excuse me, headaches with tying, you know, these types of flies is not having the consistent density of bucktail around the shank right. of the hook sure. from what I'm seeing on these, you don't have that with these brushes. It's consistent and it, the layers look good and you're not bulking on one yeah. side and you're probably going to have a better float with the fly too in movement. And you know, honestly, that. like, you know, if, if you're tying a ton of the same fly over and over again, there's that obvious benefit of using a brush because you're getting the more consistent fly profile, more consistent way. You're able to use a lot more of your uh, fibers just by tucking them into a brush rather than pinching them off of the, of the actual tail. Um, but you know, I think there's just something to be said for the consistency of that profile on its own. Yep. You know, like, like you said, 
you know, I, I think everyone should have to learn how to reverse tie bucktail. It's an invaluable skill and it's, it comes in handy even when you're trying to make some adjustments when you're tying with a, with a bucktail brush. But one of the other things that I just really love about using a bucktail brush over just using pinches of bucktail is that you get that flare. And I mean, this is, this is a relatively small musky fly, but that's still probably a six inch height that you're getting. That's a big profile. And that's a huge profile without the amount of material that it would normally take if you're just trying to pinch that on and reverse tie it back. So I think that's the other really cool thing is the way that those fibers lay down on that brush, they're getting perpendicular to that hook shank or that regular shank immediately. So you don't, you're not wasting any length at all. So that's one of the other big, that's one of the other just really big advantages that I like about these things is that you're saving a ton of weight, but you're getting that height, you're getting that water pushing profile that, yeah, like really holds its shape even after it gets wet. Yeah. And I'm, cool I'm, I'm all about less material in the musky flies because it's going to save my baby shoulder at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, you want to talk about saving your shoulder. Take a look at this guy. Oh boy. So, um, I've been, if, if you're on the website, you're, you'll see a bunch of, um, bucktail game changers and, that you know the game changer pattern has its pros and cons that's its own conversation um but i think it's a really interesting concept and i think it's a cool platform and so what i've been trying to do is take that same brush mentality where you're able to use less material but throw that onto that game changer platform so honestly these two flies double buford and one of my bucktail changers weigh about the same because I'm using brushes on all these back sections. Very nice. And it's a clean looking fly. Um, yeah. And you guys, if you go to the website, he's got some really nice photos of that bucktail game changer, but yeah, that's a, that's an awesome looking fly. Yeah. You know, and so you get that, you get that movement, you get those extra connections back here, um, but you're saving yourself all that weight. I mean, I've, I admire some of the tires who are doing these really big, 12 14 even 18 inch flies but man after an eight hour float of hucking that thing all day (laughs) you might think twice about some of that really really big stuff yeah that's gonna hurt after a while yeah and really that's another one of the big advantages of using a brush over um just pinching on you know pencil size width is a little bit more consistent um distribution of that fiber so you get the same profile with a little bit less material you're saving some weight at the end of the day you're going to appreciate that how and how many how many single viewers did you say you can get out of one of your brushes one brush start to finish is going to cover about a 55 millimeter shank okay. so you'll get one single buford by using one bucktail brush that i've got on the website okay but then depending on how you want to utilize them like i mentioned earlier you could use one brush on the back shank and then a second brush on a front shank and now you've got a double buford you could trim off some of those short fibers to create that bulkhead profile so you're running either a single bulkhead with one brush 
or a double bulkhead with two brushes. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, the, the trick about, uh, bucktail brushes is typically you're getting one, you know, one wrap in because I'm using a power pro, um, just braided line rather than uh, wire. Okay. When I'm spinning those up. Um, but depending on how you're using them on, on one of these game changes, for example, um, I can spin, you know, four brushes and then use a section of each brush on all six of those sections. Got it. It's kind of tricky once you clip them off after you've tied them off, but, um, it's possible to use, to use them on multiple. Okay. But they're, yeah, as designed, they're, they're meant to cover one, one, uh, you know, roughly 55 millimeter shank. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Keeping it simple. I like that. And that's, that's what you get in those kits is you get a, you get four of those longer 55 millimeter shanks, four hooks, uh, Gamagatsu, uh, stinger four aughts. And where are you sourcing those shanks from? Um, I'm actually building all of these shanks myself. Awesome. So these are, these are coming from bulk stainless steel, um, wire for all the musky stuff I'm using, uh, 0.053, it's 53 thousandths of an inch diameter. Um, but then I'm twisting all those up on a, on a tackle maker. So okay. you get an offset open end and an, and an offset, uh, closed end. So you can pretty, pretty easily tie these together, you know, on, on your vice just by looping that through one end and super slick tying it off or just using it on, on its own, throwing that split ring here off the back and then wrapping your thread to close that up right there. And you're good to go. Super easy. And I, I love the offset method because you're able to keep everything riding in the right plane. Yep. So things don't get twisted around on you. Those are also available though on the site. If you just want to play around with some shanks, okay. Uh, it's a fun way to tie. I mean, you know, having a split ring pliers to get your hooks on can be useful there. But, um, if you're just looking to check out that shank based system, and you've got, be. looks like you've got two different sizes, the 35 and the 55. Yep. The 55 is what I'm using most often. Um, especially on those single or double Bufords, but these 35 millimeters are what I'm basing the pro or the, the foundation of these game changers on. So all of these shanks in between with the exception of the last shank are those short 35 millimeter and sold in packs of 20 kids. So go to packs of 20 weights and measures at co and get yourself some, there you go. Buy them, order them, order them all. <laughs> we got them. And they, yep. everything gets delivered in sustainably recyclable packaging. Uh, is this still the sub so packaging? Check that out. It, it absolutely is. Hang on. I got some. More. We had a bit of a mix up when I was ordering my supplies for this venture. And I was sent rather than uh, your standard grocery bag, brown craft paper. They sent me these super sandwich. That's so great. The grinder printed grinder. Poor boy. Super big, super licious. 
sandwich bags. <laughs> so, so if you guys order now for a limited time, you for a can limited get these, time, uh, grinder <laughs> sandwich bags. Um, and they probably work great to carry your flies to the boat with you before <laughs> you put them in your cliff box. Absolutely. Or your, or your, uh, gas station sandwich. If you want to recycle it. Them, you know. Yeah. Put recycle your sandwich in there. Way. Yep. <laughs> But, you know, on a serious note, it was really important for me to figure out ways to eliminate all the unneeded and unnecessary plastic. As anyone knows, if you've been to a fly shop, man, everything is double packaged or everything comes in packs of five in a Ziploc bag. And I, something didn't sit right with me about throwing everything into more plastic bags. So everything that I send out comes in either one of these big old sandwich bags or... I just picked up these uh, little coin envelopes. Oh, perfect. So shanks and, and small parts, things like that are going to show up in one of these guys. So everything's recyclable. Everything is recycled paper. Um, so locally sourced as much locally as possible. Locally sourced as much as possible. Do your part. That's awesome. There you go. Yeah. It was actually kind of kind of interesting. I mean, another one of those things that you don't realize that is behind the scenes of everything that you buy is how it gets packaged or how it gets stamped or labeled or whatever. And it's just so much plastic and single yes. use. And, um, as a, as a company focused on getting people out on, into the environment, I felt like it was important to be conscious of all that. Now, if you could just double some of your packaging as rolling papers for the future of Minnesota, I think you might be onto something there. I don't too. see any reason that this super sandwich bag couldn't be ripped into a couple of strips. And you Very could true. even start with start with your coin envelope yeah. shank bag as your mouthpiece. Uh, and the next episode, we'll, we'll figure out how to MacGyver uh, some <laughs> tobacco apparatuses out of uh, weights and measures packaging. So maybe we'll have to shoot that on the on the water when we go out and fish. Pro probably a good idea. Um, <laughs> you know, we can eliminate the fish whistle from Sims if we can get this figured out. <laughs> so, well, Eric, I'd like to thank you for spending some time chatting with us. Um, I'm glad to uh, get to know you. And again, I just you want to help, you know, promote some locals here. So guys, yeah, go wait, wait to measures.co. Um, we'll get his Instagram link uh, in the show notes. And yeah, thanks. Appreciate the chat. Hey, I appreciate the time and always a pleasure to chat with you. And thanks for the plugs and we'll see you on the water. We'll see right? you on the water. That's the hope. Let's do it. We'll see you out there.